Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right. Another week and the bye week is here as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 283. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with Greg Cosell about the current state of the Philadelphia Eagles as they head into their bye week of the 2020 season. On one hand, this team has a grasp on first place in the division. On the other, there is plenty of improvement that is needed on both sides of the football. So we'll take stock of this team and recap what we saw from the film in Sunday night's win over the Dallas Cowboys, and we will do all of that in Chalk Talk. Before we get to that discussion, though, just a quick reminder, if you haven't yet, please jump on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating. If you leave us a comment, if you leave us a question, we will answer it here on the show. we got a great one here uh, for this week's episode that I really appreciate. Love that everybody that has gone on and done that uh, in recent weeks. We're always getting a constant influx of new comments and new questions, and it just helps it make the, it makes the podcast more available, more visible for other people that are looking for Eagles podcasts. So if you like the show, please, it's the best thing you could do. It really, really helps us out. If you go on Apple Podcasts specifically um, or Stitcher as well, leave a comment, leave a question, leave a rating. Really, really helps us. Appreciate everybody that has done that. Just a quick note, uh, there will not be a second episode of Eagle Eye in the Sky this week. It will just be myself and Greg Cosell here for this one. We'll be back with our normal two-episode weekly uh, schedule next week as the Eagles prepare to take on the New York Giants. So uh, that being said, Look, it's time now. Let's dive into our chat now with Greg Cosell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Excited to welcome in our friend from NFL Films, Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, welcome back, man. A bye week, but we got a big game to talk about. Well, the way I'm kind of thinking that we can structure this conversation, we'll do what we normally do, where we recap the game and kind of go position by position. But also, I'll kind of throw out some big picture thoughts about uh, the position group or the offense as a whole, the defense as a whole, as we're going, as we're having the conversation, because obviously the Eagles going into the bye week. So it's a big picture time, especially with the bye week coming eight games into the season. So a true halfway mark that we can kind of break this team down um, to, you know, the, the true state of the roster and of this team going into the bye. So uh, that's kind of the way that uh, I'll kind of structure this. And I guess, the big thing to talk about right, right off the jump is what we normally start the conversation off with, and that's the quarterback uh, with Carson Wentz and his performance this past Sunday night against Dallas. And look, it was honestly a little bit of a microcosm of the of what the season has been on a whole. That the turnovers were uh, tough to swallow. A couple of them were worse than others, but I think um, obviously that he's just got to be better at you know protecting the football at this point, uh, you know, for this team to continue to have any kind of success. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's an obvious statement. Um, you know, I, I think when all said and done, and, and, and one thing that I know others have asked me is, can you be a playmaking quarterback uh, and still be uh, play efficiently without mistakes? And my answer to that is yes, you can. Uh, and I think that Carson Wentz, that's where his next step needs to be. Now he's a fifth year player. Um, so I think that there just needs to be a sense that you can't make every play. It's just not humanly possible. And there are times you just have to live for the next play. Uh, 
and whether he gets to learn that or not, only time will tell. But we know he can do really good things. We've seen that. Uh, we've seen him come back in games and make really good throws, make really big special plays. But you just can't live with the mistakes, particularly when you're not, you know, overall when your roster, and I don't think I'm saying anything out of school here, when your roster would probably not be viewed as a top three or four roster in the league where you can just overcome mistakes against good teams. So, you know, obviously that first fumble, you know, you just have to, you got to throw that ball away. There was yeah. no one on that side of the field. Yep. Um, he was. Second, he looked like he was waiting or kind of motioning for Dallas Goddard to release upfield. Goddard went off and looked like he was getting ready to block the defender as if Carson right, was right. going to run. Uh, and obviously he had nowhere to go with the football. He should have thrown that ball away, no question. Yeah, and I think the second one, um, I'd be curious to your thought. It was fourth and three, and I thought the design of the play was to throw it to, to Boston Scott. Did you see it that way? Uh, so that's a, it's a good question because it was the same play that they ran uh, later in the game, which was on the two-point conversion play to Jalen Rager. So they ran the same play, and what the, the difference being that on this one, they, they blitzed Leighton Vanderesh. So the blitz is able to get home. Uh, it was not accounted for uh, but in the protection, even though it was you know kind of four, four guys in the mic. They ran that nice stunt up front. Dallas right, ran a right. TT stunt, and they ran Vanderesh right behind the stunt. So it was tough for them to pick up, um, you know, and ultimately the linebacker was able to get home. So Carson didn't have enough time to get backside to throw that ball to Jalen Rager, who was going to be wide open. Uh, it would have gone for a big play. But well, that, then that, that raises the, again to me that raises the question. He immediately looked to Boston Scott. Yep. Okay, Boston Scott was on the other side of the field from Jalen. Well, no, Rager was running the crosser basically, correct. And then Ward also was a, now to me he did have time to make the throw. Only he can tell you why he didn't. But if that was the design of the play, then I, why did he look so hard to Scott? Only he could tell you that. I can't. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm actually looking back to go see the, the two-point play to see if he did the same thing with his eyes uh, on that one. But it was definitely the same route concept because uh, I broke down the route concept the night of the game for uh, a segment we do for the website – and then when I saw the play come up, all the, you know, when I watched the uh, the all twenty two of the sack, I was like, oh, it, this is the same. This is the same concept. Uh, it's the same exact play. So, well, I'm looking at the play right now, the two point conversion. Yeah. So we can we can make a decision here. It's um, okay. It's not ex. Uh, yeah, it is. It is essentially the same play. This one, he did not look to Boston Scott at all. Right. So, yeah, so I guess that's the difference. Is what what's the what was it that had him looking at Boston Scott initially uh, on that first one? We can't answer that. Um, no, but either way, the, the the ball didn't didn't come out, uh, and Leighton Van Asch was able to get home, and it results in a sack fumble. And that's the thing, you know. Doug Peterson talked about this today at his Monday press conference. Was you know one of the things they're going to look at? They're going to look at all the turnover plays, and you know, as is the case with everything, all of them are going to be you got to look at them all in a vacuum, not in necessarily a vacuum. But all turnovers aren't the same, right? All turnovers no, exactly. are they're not going to be, uh, you know, one or two issues. There's going to be little things here and there. Now it's about trying to find ways to avoid those situations, right? So, uh, you know, either, um, you know, whether from a protection standpoint, from a pass concept standpoint, from a timing standpoint, all of that stuff is going to get taken into account and say, okay, what are the things that we can do to not have these situations pop up? And then it's going to be time to, after they have that, those little powwows, now it's time to execute off of whatever those takeaways are. And I think you hit it right on the head there because the one thing, and I get to see more of the league than you do, you know, just what I do at NFL Films with the matchup show. And 
one of the things that always stands out to me, and this is something that they will obviously be working on because, hey, these coaches are pretty smart, is they need what you don't see very much with the Eagles are timing rhythm throws where, you know, Wentz hits that back foot and the ball comes out. You right. see it on occasion. You saw it when he hit Goddard on the 15-yarder. You know, that had the feel of, of – that had a rhythmic feel to it. You know, we've seen more of those kinds of throws in the past. You know, that's something, in my view, that they need to find a way to get accomplished. Now, again, they'll do all the study. There's certain information you and I don't have. So we can't say what the reasons are specifically that it they it doesn't happen that way, whether it's Wentz's fall, whether it's the scheme that they're going to work on, whatever the reason, there's reasons. There's always reasons. Of course. You know, you you and I don't know what exactly that they are, but they need to find a way to create some more timing and rhythm to their pass game. I think, you know, it's kind of interesting just kind of looking at some of the stats in terms of the uh, the way that this offense is played in terms of the passing game and some of the things that they've done. They lead the league right now in downfield throws. They've had 45 passes that have traveled 20-plus yards in the air. I mean, that's a, a, a crazy amount. You have 45 attempts, but only 20 of them have been completed. That's 22nd in the league. So they have not been overly efficient uh, on those deep shots. And it kind of plays to the fact, all right, look, look, they're trying to be a vertical passing team. They're trying to attack downfield. It's resulted in some sacks. It's resulted in some turnovers. We saw a couple of those uh, the other night. They're also not a team that uses a ton of shifts, not a ton of motion, no. not a lot of bunch. They're 29th in the league right now in terms of percentage of their snaps coming out of bunch sets. Uh, they're middle of the pack when it comes to empty. They run a decent amount of play action. You know, the, the, you're starting to get a sense of like, all right, what, what are the themes uh, with this offense and with this passing game? Certainly, they want to be aggressive and they want to attack downfield. And um, that's that, fine. That, yeah, no question. That's um, fine. But it's about trying to find ways, as you said, to be able to execute those within rhythm, where you know it's uh, you know five step and a hitch, seven step and a hitch, and balls coming out, where he's able to make some of those, uh, make some of the you know have answers for what the quarterback's looking at at the top of the drop. Right, and and that another great thing you just said is have answers so let's say you're, you're calling a vertical route concept you need to have an answer if the defense takes it away yep because the last thing you want to have happen is Carson Wentz standing in the pocket with nowhere to go with the football and with which, no answer which by the way that speaks to something that you've, you've talked about this a lot for years is um, you know when you use uh, running backs and tight ends to stay in and for protection or for uh, chipping out of the backfield right you know, if you run, if you're running, let's say a dagger concept. I remember, I forget which game it was. I think it was it was either the Giants game or it was the game before that against Baltimore. It was a deep play action. It was a dagger concept where it's a, that's a two man concept. But because the Eagles were in max protection, those were the only two receivers on the route. And Carson Wentz, you, if you're going to throw that go ball, that's that's an alert preset. You're not going to go from the dig to the go. So no. once he knows that he's going to throw the dig route there in the middle of the field, if there's if that dig is covered up. And there's nobody else releasing. That's a that's essentially a one man route. And so now you've got right. no answer. So the issues that they've had in protection, which if you look, I mean, the, no matter what metric you look at, whether it's uh, sacks, quarterback pressure percentage, uh, hits on the quarterback, I mean, they are at the bottom of the league right now in terms of uh, pressure on the quarterback. And some of that is on the offensive line. Yeah. Some of that is on Carson. Some of that is on, uh, as you mentioned, that the timing of the drops uh, matching with the concepts. And I think all of that. Is stuff that they've got. They've got to just kind of get that stuff situated over the next week. They have to decide, and then we can move on. They have to decide if all the hits on Carson Wentz 
are the result, you know, what is the percentage here? Are they right. the result of poor play design? Are they a result of the offensive line not protecting? Are they the result of Carson Wentz holding the ball too long when he does have an answer? You know, that that's what this bye week is for, to go through. They should literally be looking at every single pass drop. Yep. I mean, that that's what coaches that's do. What, I that's mean, what they're doing right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what self-scouting this whole week is going to be all about. Right. So, uh, it's, and, and the other thing too, as you mentioned, they they're the ones with the info. We could sit on the outside and guess as to what the issue was here or the issue was there, but they're the ones that are going to know, like, hey, uh, this is what happened on this play. This is what the real issue was on this play. So, uh, when a team has problems, and, and Fran, we've been doing this a long time. Yeah, I mean, this is my forty-first year with NFL Films. I've seen a little football in my life. You know, when a team isn't doing well. It's so easy to say, oh, well, they stink or this is bad. And that's easy. Coaches don't play that game. Coaches sit and grind and grind and grind. And, you know, I know because of what I do, because I'm kind of a lunatic with tape study. I know that coaches, they're working even harder than I am. They're going to grind away for 17, 18 hours a day trying to get Mm. this stuff figured out. Yeah, no question. I mean, that's that's. That's what it's for. That's what that's what this time's for. Uh, There's no question about it. So we talked about it from a pure conceptual standpoint. I thought the one big thing we saw that was a lot different here in week eight against Dallas that was different than what we saw in the previous seven weeks was one of the things I brought up earlier was the amount of shifts and motions. Now, with a caveat there, we don't know if this was game plan specific for Dallas because of the issues that they've had defensively with their eye discipline or if this is something that maybe they're going to try and trend more towards. Coming into this game, the Eagles were 29th in the NFL by using pre-snap shifts and motions, 38%. They went and almost doubled that this past week against Dallas. 65% of their snaps used different shifts and motions, and I know you did some charting on that as well. I think when you look at that, that was a a pretty big uh, shift the other way. I'm interested to kind of see, okay, is this a sign of things to come here uh, with what they're going to do conceptually, or was this just for this one game against Dallas? Because the other game we saw that was against San Francisco, and they had a bunch of injuries, guys in and out of the lineup. That was the other game where we saw a lot of that. I'm interested to see if that's something that will carry over after the bye. Yeah, and just speaking from a personal standpoint, you know, I'm not smarter than the coaches. Just my personal opinion from watching a lot of teams is I'd like to see that continue because I think that – has an impact on defenses in, in many different ways. You know, years ago, you just used to automatically say, well, it helps you with man versus zone. It does at times still, no question. Defenses have become a little smarter now and it's not automatic. It's not a hundred percent now. Yep. We know that, but it's still a factor at times, but it also motion across the formation without question grabs the eyes of second level defenders. We've seen that with so many teams and in the NFL, it just takes one step and you can be out of position. The other thing it helps you do is it changes run support for a defense. So if you want to run the ball, it can change who has who's a primary run support player, who's a secondary run support player. It can help your run game. The other thing it can do is it can allow you attack to attack specific defenders who have both a run and a pass responsibility. So there's we could probably go on with a few more things too, but there's a number of things that motion does to a defense that helps your quarterback glean information before the snap of the ball. And that's ultimately the goal is to give your quarterback as much information before the ball is snapped as possible. 
No, that's a great point. I, like I said, I'm interested to see if that is a sign of things to come or if that was just uh, specific to this game against this Dallas defense. Let's talk uh, specifically about this game real quick, Greg, because um, you know, from a personnel standpoint, we saw a couple guys come back into the lineup. We saw Jalen Rager return from injury. Uh, Dallas Goddard return from injury. Interested to kind of get your take on those two guys. I thought uh, we saw some good things from Dallas Goddard, namely as a blocker in the run game. That's a presence that but we haven't really talked yeah. about that much that I feel like they've really missed is, is him in the run game on the backside of runs. He has really helped create uh, seals over the year, over the last couple of years for the Eagles running backs. And I thought that they missed that over the last couple of games. With Without question. And, and, and to me, this team needs to run the ball. And when I say run the ball, that doesn't mean that that's the foundation and they have to have 40 carries a game. But they need to have success when they run the ball. And there needs to be some volume. That That's specific to given games, as we know, Fran. You know, there's not – I'm not one of those people that believes there's a number that you have to hit because every game plays out differently. Right, My right. point is that they need to have success running the ball and whatever that means. Um, and there's no question that Dallas Goddard gives them an opportunity to have more success in the run game. How about Jalen Rager? Interested to kind of get your thoughts there. Yeah. I, I thought they did some really good things with him, namely where kind of creating some easy layup throws for Carson Wentz, some things that are well-defined. Hey, let's get him the ball running no into space. Uh, you saw that one that was at, with that creative motion in the backfield. We saw the touchdown off a rub route on the goal line. We saw some, uh, dip, you know, uh, some tight splits where he's running speed outs out to grass towards the sideline. Just good examples of, hey, let, let's get this guy and get him running into space. And that's where motion also comes in yeah. because now you can start adding. We see what the Chiefs do with speed where they do the jet sweeps and it's technically a pass, but, you know, Mahomes just gives that little pass to whether it's Mikael Hardman or, or Tyreek Hill, you know, little things like that, orbit reverses, just ways to get an explosive athlete the ball in space while he's on the move. See, yep. to me, that's what you want to do. You want to get Rager the ball on the move. Um, now, that's not going to happen all the time, but – you'd like to be able to do that. I sure wish he had caught that last one that they threw up to him. Cause, and I'm sure he feels the same way. I'm sure, you know, he it was would a great play from Anthony thing. Brown and they, cause they got him. I mean, it was the Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. That was the play that Arizona ran last week where they kind of, uh, you know, all, all stop. Let's look at the sideline. And then they kind of quick snapped it. They yeah. caught them sleeping and they got them, yeah. but uh, Brown made a great recovery and played through the hands perfectly. But I think Rager would tell you that, you know what, if I had it all over again, I should catch yeah. that ball. Yep. No question. Yeah. Um, so we talked about Rager. We talked about uh, we talked about Goddard. We talked about Boston Scott in this game. A couple nice runs. They, yeah. They, I mean, they got great movement against those defensive tackles. Pretty much all game. Uh, yeah. Whenever they, especially you know when they just kind of went up under center and just ran right at them. I thought the offensive line did a nice job against that Dallas front. Which I mean, that, that, that's not like you know a, a huge statement. The Dallas front has gotten manhandled throughout the course of this offseason or throughout the season so far. Um, but I thought that this offensive line did a nice job overall in the game in the run game. I would agree 100 percent. And it was nice to see them start off that way and and keep coming back to a, a successful play, yep. which was that first run where they did use motion. They used jet action with Greg Ward and then they ran away from the jet action, which makes perfect sense. And they came back to that four or five times and was successful pretty much every time. Yeah, you saw some really good combo blocks from uh, from Jason Kelsey, you know, Nate Herbing, and Jason Peters working well together. Uh, Jordan Mailata was moving people off the ball. I thought we saw some really good things uh, from those guys up front in the run game. There were some really good things to build off of there moving forward. Uh, Lane Johnson will be back in the line. That's that, and that's the other thing too, Greg. You know, we talk about Jalen Rager coming back, and you talk about Dallas Goddard and Jason Peters coming back. Lane Johnson was on the verge of returning. Uh, you know, Zach Ertz, uh, Miles Sanders, Isaac Samalo in the coming weeks. Those guys are going to be back in the lineup. 
that's that's a good sign for this group moving forward. Well, right? what excites me is what excites me is the Rager Fulgham combination now. Yeah, because Rager will be the Z, which maybe he's most. Uh, it, it, to me, it probably fits his skill set more than an X. Whereas I think Fulgham is truly an X. So I'm just very anxious to see as they do their work this uh, bye week, how they see Rager going forward, because uh, I think he can really be that movement Z and be really good in that role. For our listeners, can you just really quickly, I think some of our listeners will know the difference there, but can you just paint us the picture of what what is it that makes that difference? What is that delineation there between the X and the Z? Well, normally in, in, in the NFL, the, the X is the receiver who lines up to the boundary side, the short side of the field, and he lines up on the ball because there's no tight end to that side. That's hence the X. That's what, what's called an X. And Fulgham, to me, fits that role perfectly. He's big. He's physical. Uh, there's a physical presence to his game. He can win one-on-one. We saw on the touchdown, uh, the nine-yard touchdown. He had a couple of other plays. We've seen that throughout his this four- or five-game stretch. Rager, to me, the Z Z is the receiver who lines up to the wide side of the field and off the ball. And because he's off the ball, he is allowed to go into motion. He's allowed movement before the snap of the ball. And I think that Rager fits that role extremely well for a number of reasons. Number one, you want him on the move. And number two, you can get him away from any kind of press coverage and you can get him into his routes without any disruption so he can build up speed, which is, I think, something ideally we're going to see more of as we go forward. And just to prevent any confusion from the listeners, too, yet there are times they might say, oh, well, I've seen Travis Fulgham go in motion. It's not an exclusive moniker. Like, he's not just the X. Right, right. He's not just the Z. Well, first of all, in the NFL, nothing's Nothing's 100%. 100%. Yes, exactly right. 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 uh, You can move those guys around and do different things. And I think, would you agree, Greg, that it's it's more so now in today's NFL? You know, very rarely do you see teams where it's such a delineation where it's like, oh, this guy almost always is the X. This guy almost always is the Z. This guy's almost always the slot. Most teams kind of mix and match uh, throughout the course of the game, depending on the receiving core, obviously, right? No question. And even slot guys, you know, for yep. years people would say, well, he's a slot receiver. Well, the way teams now structure offense and play design and route concepts, no one is just a slot or no one's just an X or no one's just a Z. Yep. And we're looking at Fulgham. You talked about him as the, the boundary receiver lining up to the backside of trips. The two big catches in this game that he made, uh, you know, down the sideline, the 32-yarder uh, and then also the touchdown, the nine-yarder, both were fade routes from the boundary on the backside of trips. And I thought he did a great job on both plays of, number one, kind of giving Carson Wentz room outside the, outside the numbers to be able to deliver the football. You call that holding the red line as a receiver. You imagine a, an imaginary line between the numbers and the sideline. If you get too wide, too farther to the sideline, now that's a tighter throw for the quarterback. I thought that Fulgham did a nice job there on, on both of those plays with that. And then also showing late hands. So not showing his hands yes. uh, throughout the course of the route. And now the receiver has a place to go, or the corner rather, has a place to go and play through the receiver's hands, especially on the touchdown. It's a great visual and I posted it up uh, on my Twitter feed you can really see how how late he throws his hands now the corner's not able to time that and rake his hands through for the pass breakup yeah no and I think you make a great point about late hands you know and it's funny you talk about the 32 yarder that was a perfect example they lined up initially in a two by two set and then Ward crossed the formation again we went in motion and that changes 
you know, you could see that the Cowboys, another reason you, you go in motion, by the way, is you create communication for the defense. They have to react. So the Cowboys went from what looked like a split safety coverage to where uh, the, it became a little more of a single high look. It wasn't quite single high, but the safety to the side of Fulgham ended up moving a little more into the middle of the field. And it just, it, it you know, it, it gave Fulgham all the room he needed. And that was a great route. And that was a great throw. Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is going to, I agree with what you said earlier too. It's going to be fun just watching those two, uh, you're talking about Travis Fulgham and Jalen Rager kind of working together over the course of the next eight games. Both guys hopefully can stay healthy and we really can kind of see how those guys uh, can work together, especially getting Dallas Goddard back, getting Miles Sanders back. Uh, it's going to be big uh, for this team. Interesting, real quick, before we move over to the defensive side, Greg, uh, offensive line wise, we saw JP come back. I thought he looked pretty good. Honestly, I thought that might have been his best game of the season so far. Yeah, I thought uh, for, he looked pretty good. Because yeah. normally, and I say this honestly, you know, nothing out of school here. Normally, we we watch the tape uh, when he's playing, and there's four or five snaps every week where he just doesn't look very good. I don't think he had those in this game. Yeah, I thought JP had a, had a solid game overall. And then um, on the other side, Jordan Mailata, he gave up that early sack off play action. He overset a little bit trying to sell the run block, uh, and Demarcus Lawrence was able to win inside. After that, I thought he he showed up. There were a couple plays where he got uh, pushed back a little bit, and he he, you know, he had a couple missed blocks. But overall, I thought it was a solid performance. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great performance, but a solid performance right. on the right on the right side. Um, so we'll we'll see exactly how this offensive line will continue to look uh, with uh, with Mailata once uh, Lane Johnson comes back. Interesting to see. Obviously, they're always going to try and find the way to get their best five guys out on the field. So we'll see. Uh, you know, know, especially as other guys start to get back as well. Just one other point about the motion, which, you know, and it's hard to see this when you're watching a game on TV, but just yeah. something for people to think about as they watch games, because sometimes depending on the telecast, they do show wider shots. Always think about if there wasn't motion, okay, what would happen if they snapped the ball without the motion? You know, if, if nobody moved, mm -hmm. think about, well, what is, what is the defense in if that were to happen? And then when the motion happens, take note, does the defense move? Because you have to think of it in those terms. Because the, de the defense does not know there's going to be motion, so they're lining up to play. Because the ball could be snapped before the motion. Yeah. So now if the motion happens and the defense moves, that means there's some kind of either communication at that moment or built-in adjustment based on film study. And by the way, offenses know this too. So as you're watching a game, think about that, that what happens if the ball would be snapped before the motion? And offenses will do that. Well, they'll see how they adjust to a motion on film, on tape study, right. while they're evaluating the team. But then what they'll do is on the opening, you know, 10 plays, opening 15 plays in that opening script, they'll have a couple different motions worked into that script. And just to see how does the deep head, does this confirm what we thought they were going to do? If they do, all right, now that this play that we have dialed up to attack that reaction to this motion, we're going to call that here coming up. Correct. Yeah, that's and like I said, sometimes it's hard to see on TV, but just something, you know, as you're watching the game, because I know fans are far more sophisticated now than they've ever been. So just think about that as, as you're watching what happens if the ball would be snapped before the motion. Hmm. Real quickly, before we move over to the defensive side, you know, situational football has been kind of middle of the road, I think, you know, when you look at the offense right now. You know, they're 17th in third down conversions. Um, you know, you get down in the red zone. They're 11th in touchdown efficiency. is not bad. Um, certainly one of their better overall offensive team statistics. But uh, this is a team, you go back, uh, you know, to when this offense was really humming. Situational football, that's how the, that's a, that is often the case. That's not uh, breaking news there. If you are really working well as an offense, third down, red zone, 
you're going to have success. And obviously the turnovers, um, you know, obviously going to play a part in that as well. Um, real quick, as we move, this is actually an easy transition over to the defensive side. The last turnover stat that, Greg, I think is, is just really damning. It's, it's really kind of put them in a tough spot. They've had – so if you look at drives beginning in opponent territory defensively, okay, so meaning that the defense is coming out in the field and the opposing offense is already in your territory, working on a short field, all right? But the number one te- teams in the NFL right now, Baltimore and Seattle, they've had three drives like that, right, over the course of the first eight weeks of the season. They've had three. Green Bay and Kansas City, they've had four. 31st place, so the second to last, you've got Minnesota and Jacksonville with 14. The Eagles are last right now with 18. 18 of those drives where the defense has come out and the opponent, opposing offense has the ball in plus territory. That is a, that's really tough to overcome uh, if you are a defense, and that's one of the big things. To me, Like that's the, the, the killer part about some of these turnovers is that Without question. You're, you are giving them the ball at the 30-yard line, at the 22, at the plus 38. Like Right off the bat, yeah, that, there's points, right? I mean, that, that is a, just a tough thing to try and overcome. Without question. And again, we can sit here and say, you know, that's all on Carson Wentz. That Whatever the reason, the point is that can't happen. Yep. Because the Eagles actually defensively, you know, they've got a really good D-line that's that's really playing well. A lot of, and we'll get to this in a sec, a lot of individual players playing at a pretty high level. Um, and you just can't ask your defense to be in that position on a weekly basis. It's too mm-hmm. hard. Uh, we'll just get into that defensive line. I mean, they're third in the league right now with 28 sacks. Uh, they're sixth in the NFL with third down sacks with eight. Their sack rate is high. Their pressure rate's high. The QB hits are high. The pressures are high. Whatever analytic, whatever stat you want to throw out, the defensive line is getting after the quarterback, and that's the way that this unit is built, right? They're built from the inside out. You're trying to be able to create pressure with that front four. They're not a blitz-heavy heavy defense. They're not a stunt-heavy defense right now, and that's kind of what I think we certainly expect that from a, from a blitzing standpoint. I expect maybe a little bit more stunts when I looked at the numbers, but overall, they're getting home with four, and it's working. Without question. And, you know, certain guys are playing exceptionally well. I mean, Brandon Graham, to me, is playing almost at an elite level. I I think he's a really fun guy to watch. I think Josh Sweat has really played well. He really has. As a run defender and as a pass rusher. Um, You know, Fletcher Cox has had some really excellent moments where he just is, is really playing at a high level. I think we're starting to see Hargrave come around now because I really loved his tape in Pittsburgh. Um, I thought this was his best game against Dallas. What's that? I thought this was his best game yeah. this past week. Yeah, we know Dallas. Ridgeway's, you know, done. I tell you, I'm fascinated, and I don't know if you did him coming out of Michigan State. I didn't do him in great detail, but I, I thought Roquan Williams was a draftable player. I, I thought he, I thought he was too, and I thought he was one of the certain, certainly one of the more talented undrafted free agents that they were yep. able to get after the draft, uh, and he was able to to stick with this team uh, coming out of camp. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah, he's a guy that I'm excited to potentially potentially see get more snaps here uh, moving forward. Uh, you talk about Brandon Graham. I mean, he's third in the NFL in sacks right now, behind uh, two blue chip. I mean, all pro players and Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald. So it gives you an idea. He's leading the team right now, 33 pressures uh, on the quarterback. Fletcher Cox has 26. So uh, Brandon Graham. I mean, having a career year, you know, at his age, it's awesome. I'm really hoping that he's able to get uh, to that first Pro Bowl. He's never been to a Pro Bowl, Greg. Uh, you know, obviously, he's not going to be going to a Pro Bowl, but uh, getting that that honor, I think, would be big for him. Right. Uh, certainly at this point in his career. Well, I think Brandon Graham, I mean, he's been really, really good for a long time. Yep. That we know. Um but this year, I think he's he's just even raised it a notch. I think mm-hmm. he's playing at a really, really high level. 
the the big thing I think when you look at this defense uh, in terms of like all right where where are the the areas that they're not having as much success there was a lot of talk early on um, about red zone defense and they are certainly in the bottom third in the league right now uh, that is a pressure point area for this team uh, third down they're actually pretty good they're uh, they're in the top the, the top quarter of the league right now on third down conversions overall third down it's middle of the pack where you get to third and long completion percentage they're they're pretty solid there overall. The run defense is the area that they have not had as much success. They have no. not been able to stop the run as, as high, at high of a clip as they have over the course of the Jim Schwartz era uh, here in Philadelphia. That's been the one area where, you know, even watching the game last night or, you know, this morning of last night's game, you know, I thought like going in, I'm like, all right, there's going to be a lot of plays where I'll be able to pull some, you know, some really good run stops of the defensive line of the, the linebackers. There weren't as many or as I thought. I thought Dallas was able to get things going on the ground, uh, which they needed to in that game to have some success. And the Eagles ultimately were able to stop them, obviously. Um, but really, that was, a, that was a little bit surprising to me overall. I mean, they're 24th right now in yards per game on the ground. They're 16th in yards per carry. Um, you know, they're, they're not stopping the run at a level no, that I, is up to par. I think that drive, that uh, the first seven plays of the third quarter when the Cowboys yeah. just lined up in 12 personnel and ran the ball, of, or, or 21 personnel, which I, no, it's twelve. Excuse me, um, and and just ran the ball effectively. I mean that that said a lot. I think that speaks to what you're talking about. I mean Elliott had four runs, Pollard had three, and they just went right down the field. And then obviously they called that play with Cedric Wilson where Cox sat, you know, tackled him for a ten yard loss. But they just really they they ran it right down the Eagles' throat because everything was inside. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one where, um, you know, certainly that big play by Cox really kind of, you know, put the put the squash on the drive. But uh, they were moving the ball pretty much at will up to that point. Um, I would say that overall, uh, the big thing that has really turned in their Eagles favor this year. They, you know, last year, they were one of the worst in the league when it came to giving up the deep ball, giving up explosive plays. They have really limited those this year. They're fourth in the league with completions of 20-plus. Um, you know, the, the completion percentage down the field is lower, uh, really, than it's been in terms of my memory. I can't remember uh, the last time they've done as good a job on those deep balls down the field. So uh, that is one area. You know, Howie Roseman said he was sick of seeing those balls uh, over the top. Uh, that certainly has, uh, you know, come to, come to pass here. They've done a nice job in stopping the deep ball. And, and, you know, it's funny you say that, and that's why it, it comes down to the offense now as well, because just – put the defense in a position where the other team has to go 80 yards. Hmm. You know, if you just do that a few more times in a game, you know, maybe you win some of these games. Right. And and maybe we're having a different conversation. Now that doesn't mean there wouldn't be things to correct. We know there's always things to correct that need to be worked on. And we're not saying that, Oh, that, that makes everything fine. It certainly doesn't, but you know, you're trying to win every Sunday. That's the goal. Yeah, and, and you go back, you think to some of those games. You think about the tie against Cincinnati that could have been a win. You think about how close that Pittsburgh game was at the end. You think about the Baltimore game, how that was yep. at the end of the game. The Washington game in week one. I mean, all those games where you say, uh, you know, and Doug Peterson said it, and it always can go the other way, right? You could always say, hey, you know, we're three, four, and one. We easily could be, uh, you know, the uh, you know, five and two, or you know, five, you know, six you and two at this point. One six and one two. If you exactly really right, if game. you want to, but the, yeah. and that's the thing. But I think yeah. when you look at, um, you know, that part of it, if you eliminate a couple mistakes here and there, this team can get things figured out. And with those guys being, he- you know, getting a little bit healthier, uh, hopefully that's something that can get, uh, you know, certainly turned around on that side of it. The big thing, and you've talked about this a lot, uh, and we've talked about it on this show. In terms of a coverage, just getting back to the coverage standpoint, a lot more man coverage this year, and that and that's to me that's the big difference, I guess, uh, in what this defense looks like. You know, you trade for Darius Slay; they're playing more man coverage than yep. I believe they've ever played uh, under Jim Schwartz. Yeah, that's- yeah, I think that's probably you know, I think we kind of knew that when they signed Slay. 
Um, you know, and again, he got hurt again. I guess we'll find out. I mean, obviously, there's a bye week. But, they said it was. Uh, they they said it was not serious. So he'll be okay. So good. Um, but uh, no, they they played. They've been playing more man coverage, and and you know, I think in the NFL you have to be able to do that. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. that's my personal opinion. In today's NFL, you have to be able to play man coverage. Uh, the last quick uh, question from the, the front seven standpoint, linebackers in this game. I thought that we saw some really good things from TJ Edwards and he talking about guys getting healthy, uh, him coming back off the injured reserve. I thought he had a good game against the Cowboys. You know, I think the linebacker situation to me has been a bit of a pleasant surprise overall, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I think Alex Singleton has played well. Um, obviously this week they kind of mixed and match who played in the nickel Singleton played. They also had Edwards and Riley play together. Um, Edwards, I like T.J. Edwards in the run game. You know, I'm not sure if at his core he's really a true nickel, you know, sub-nickel linebacker. Right. But I really like him in the run game. Yep, I, I think that that's where he and he made a couple of really nice solo stops on Zeke Elliott coming downhill. Yep. Um, you know, so just seeing, okay, look, if, if you get the sense of this is the role that T.J. Edwards can play, this is where Alex Singleton can be at his best. You get Nate Gary back into the lineup, what can he do for us in, a, in you know in different roles and different packages? Uh, I think you kind of figure out like, all right, this is uh, you know how this group can look moving forward. I thought Nate Gary before the injury, uh, that was his last, that was his best game the last week against the New York Giants. Correct. So, uh, you Correct. know, they can kind of build on that moving into the second half that will certainly be good uh for this defense moving forward we talked about the cornerback spot uh at safety uh Jalen Mills had to move back outside the corner due to some injuries in the secondary um late in this game but overall I thought he was solid I thought Will Parks had a productive game uh Rodney McLeod he just could I think he's been one of the more uh steady Eddie players on this team, offense or defense really since the jump on the this season yeah no I agree and and I know that when everybody's healthy, this guy's probably, I don't even know if he's still on the roster, but I, I thought Michael Jaquette, is that how you pronounce it? Michael Jaquette, yep. Michael Jaquette. I, I kind of liked what I saw. He's big. He, you know, he didn't, he played predominantly off coverage, but there was one play where he just really had a physical jam on Amari Cooper. You probably yes. remember that. Bottom the of the screen, yep. Quarter. I mean, he was so intriguing to me, given his size, length, profile, his just the physical dimensions that he brings to the position. He's a kid who was a high school quarterback, went to college as a receiver, only played two years at corner in in college. So he's an athlete. And I think there's an awful lot to work with there. And like I said, I'm not suggesting he's going to be the starting corner in two weeks opposite Darius Slay, but I was just fascinated watching him. Yeah, and I think it's certainly a, a guy, a young guy, again, to keep an eye on here moving forward down the stretch. Um, defensively, I don't know if there's anything else to hit on here, Greg. I thought I think we've kind of covered it with both sides. Look, like we said, it's a kind of the state of the roster going into the, the, the second half here. Talked about it was a big win against Dallas. They've got a lot of things that they've got to get situated, but still coming off their first win streak of the year, and you're going to try and harp on those positives, fix what you can going into the, the next week, because I'll tell you what, you've got the Giants here uh, after the bye. And then after that, you've got a bunch of tough games, man. I mean, I'll, Greg, I don't know if you've looked at this schedule, but I'm it's looking at it right now. You've got yeah, it's you know, teams Cleveland, like Seattle at home, at Green Bay, New Orleans, at Arizona. I mean, that's a bunch. That's a good stretch. There's a lot of good teams. Yeah. A lot of good teams playing good football right now. So, and you can't um, give those teams the ball on on on. Uh, you can't the offensive side of the 50 and plus no. territory. No, you cannot. No. So the, the Eagles have got to figure out uh, how to, you know, you take a one week at a time, obviously, but you go in um, to these games, you got to take care of the football, uh, you know, we'll win situationally and all that and do some of those things, hopefully with them getting healthier as well, uh, that that will help things. But uh, Greg, look, we'll be back next week here. Next Monday night, we'll be previewing 
what's going to be a very important Eagles-Giants game. I, you know, the Giants, obviously, they're going to be playing this pe- next week against Washington. They're playing for almost here in a couple minutes now against the Tampa Bay Bucks. But uh, it's going to be a pivotal game when it comes to NFC standings. Ultimately, the Eagles need to continue to rack up wins in the division. You don't know how that's going to play out here by the end of the year. So getting another win in the division uh, will be big. But we'll be breaking down that matchup once again when we return next week. Greg, thanks so much. We'll talk to you right here next week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, Fran. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity Wi-Fi, you get the speed, the coverage, the control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Don't miss your chance to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day best and upload a photo of yourself so that you can still join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $100 with net proceeds benefiting Eagles Autism Foundation. Your purchase will also waive the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order yours at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash cutouts. Before we continue with the episode, it's really important that one last time I talk about voting. And depending on when you're listening to this, it's here. It's election day. And I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. Get out and vote. The lines might be long, but get out and vote. The weather might be bad. Get out and vote. Remember, the the general election in 2016 was decided ultimately by just over 70,000 votes over the, the course of a couple of different key states, Pennsylvania being one of them, by the way. Just over 70,000. And I, I would say that that's enough to fill a football stadium, but because of the current state of our country right now, I can't even paint that visual now, right? So again, think of that number, just over 70,000. That's in the entire country. And if you see those long lines, you go out to the polls and you see those lines, you see those crowds, just know... No matter who you vote for, no matter what your political affiliation is, your vote matters. Obviously, like we talked about last week, stay safe, socially distance, wear your masks, but it is your right to vote. For your voice to be heard, it is all of our duty. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. If you leave a question, I will answer it here on the show. And I want to give a shout-out today to someone who did just that, Mason 94 left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts saying, I'm a big fan of the Eagles, a big fan of this show as well. Do have a question I would love to have answered. We see players every single year who are not highly touted and yet become big names in the league. Travis Fulgham, while still really early in his career, has flashed real potential with the Eagles. However, he was not drafted until the sixth round of 2019. He has limited playing experience with his previous two teams. Is it scheme fit, player development, just simply a lack of opportunity? Maybe it's a combination. Can you speak a bit on why this happens? And Jay Mason, this is a great question. I'm really, really glad you asked it. And it's something that I feel like just gets lost in the conversation when we're talking about players and success and, and lack of success really across the board, right? And I think ultimately, um, you know, I think if you think of this whole process, you think of these players and coaches, 
remember that they're human beings, right? And with that, there are all these sort of external factors that can play into whether a guy has success or doesn't have success. We've all had jobs. We've all had relationships. We've all had different dynamics with people and occurrences in life, different experiences where all of these different things come into play. And for whatever reason, things just don't work out or Maybe they work out much better than you would have thought going in, right? So if you keep that in mind, yeah, that absolutely, all of it comes into play. You know, and I don't want to speak to, to, to Travis Fulgham's situation because I don't know all the information, right? None of us do except for Travis. But I think when you look at, uh, you know, his journey, yeah, he goes to Detroit. It, he was a sixth-round pick. It didn't quite work for him. He goes to Green Bay. He was only there a couple of weeks. So you look there, and it's like, all right, well, uh, a lack of opportunity, you know, if you say, oh, well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, he needed to mature a little bit or maybe he wasn't taking to the coaching or maybe the, it wasn't a good scheme fit from an X's and O's standpoint. Maybe there were more bodies in the room. You know, Green Bay has a bunch of young receivers that are big bodied kids and they said, hey, you know, he's just, he kind of fell through the cracks. That happens. That happens all around the league. But he wouldn't be, he might not be here today, right here with the success he's having with the Eagles if he wasn't cut twice, right? And those, all of those things come into play with all of these players and really that's why uh, you know we say this all the time we talk about it all the time on the journey of the draft podcast about uh, all the stuff that the tape doesn't show and if you if you subscribe to this podcast you know how important the tape is to everything that I do everything that Greg Cosell does everything that Ben Fennel does right we talk about it every single week but we have to well this is something we've talked about on the journey of the draft podcast actually you have to understand the limitations of the tape there are things that we can't see that really help to pay the, paint the picture of what we get on Sundays. And, and I think ultimately, when you look at young players as they're trying to find their way in the NFL, it's no different than you or I as we were coming up in our own professional landscapes and trying to figure out what works for us, what doesn't work for us. How, and if you have that one, you know, that one relationship with a coach or in our cases with a boss or a coworker, how that can really you know, help boost your confidence and boost your performance. And I think ultimately, that's some of the things that happens with a lot of these guys. Guys, and it's what makes it a, a crapshoot. If you knew the answer, uh, you know, if I, I'll say it this way if I knew the answer to this, I would not be sitting here in this desk right now. I, I would be making a lot more money uh, as a decision maker with NFL teams because everybody in the NFL is looking to find that, that secret sauce, right? To try and crack the code of finding these guys that have the ability to come in as late round picks and have a boatload of success. You know, whether uh, it's athletic, the, the, the physical traits, the football skill, or, you know, the, the character traits, everybody is trying to get as much information as possible and that can help try and figure out you know kind of weed through uh you know weed through the weeds there and figure out who is going to succeed it's a great question it's a great topic I love talking about it whenever we talk with uh former players especially guys that have been there done that they always speak to that and I think it's a really really important part of the game and I'm really really happy that you brought that up uh so great question there from Jay Mason special thanks this week to Greg Cosell and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all all the rest of our podcast offerings with Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.